Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Hi, Realtor listeners. Uh, today I have Brandon Bateman. He is a CEO of Bateman Collective. Thank you, Brandon, for being here. Yeah, of course, Vinny. Happy to be here with you. Yeah. So, I mean, this is a question. It makes things so much easier. What's your elevator pitch? I know online presence, help people out, get there. I mean, it sounds like you veered more towards the real estate aspect of it. But if you're in an elevator, someone's asking you, hey, Brandon, what do you do? How would you describe it? Uh, I would describe it that like our, our specialty is finding people in distressed situations regarding their house um, online. So whether they're searching on Google or they're looking through their newsfeed on Facebook, um, our goal is to generate leads of, of off-market properties. Um, and we do that for wholesalers, flippers, hedge funds, uh, people looking to buy properties for cash generally. Now, was I, I know the plan originally wasn't that direction. What veered you in that direction? Was it better price points? Was it you were able to find those people in need? based off of motivation. I mean, what was, what directed you more towards real estate? Yeah. So I, uh, I don't know how much you know about this, this side of real estate. I know that you yourself are of course, uh, very familiar with real estate, like the 98% or however many <laughs> transactions that happen, you know, yeah. on the, on the market, all that kind of stuff. Um, so, so yeah, with this other side of real estate, it, it was interesting for us. So I, th this company, we used to do like paid ads, um, for for anybody who had the right kind of budget um and i had constantly gotten this advice from people you need to be more specific you need to niche down um and by being specific and niching your business that's how you're going to grow a lot more um i found it very hard to believe because i was you know mostly getting my clients through through networking and it's like i don't just only network with people in one industry and i didn't know necessarily how to do that so so anyways we just kind of did that um, and it turns out one of our clients we had through that was a wholesaling company here in Utah, uh, where I live. Um, if, if anybody here is you know, familiar with that whole side of, of things, you might know Cody Hoffheim. Um, Cody is, he, he co-founded a company called Wholesaling Inc, which was the, the largest um, real estate wholesaling coaching platform oh, wow. um, at the time that he owned it. And he also owned this company in Utah. So I had no idea that we were working with, uh, with an influencer in the space. We just were working on this company stuff. All I know is this company kind of said, hey, we're looking to generate leads of sellers in distressed situations online. Here's kind of what we're doing right now. Can you make it better? Um, turns out the first year we had doubled their revenue while keeping the ad spend exactly the same. The next year we doubled it again, keeping the ad spend exactly the same. And the third year we doubled it again while doubling the ad spend. Um, so basically maintaining the margin, but, but growing it a lot. Um, and that was last year. Um, he ended up doing, it was like 1.4 million in, in wholesale assignment fees off of uh, about $275,000 in spend um, here in Utah. Um, but anyways, the reason I share that story is because, you know, as we did that, as, as we kind of learned a little bit more about that industry, he had started sending us a few more clients in the industry. Um, I got to some point with my business where I looked at, you know, our 10 real estate clients that we had. And I looked at our 10 clients we had outside of real estate and looking at the real estate ones, I thought, well, those ones feel a lot like a lot better of a client relationship. They pay better. Um, we have a better business model on it. It's more scalable. It's more repeatable. 
And this other side is extremely difficult on all of those fronts. Um, and at some point I just realized that it was a better business model and being specific works. And, and we just leaned into the idea of how can we get really, really good at one thing instead of being pretty good at a few things. Um, so we went all in on how can we basically make it so if there were the, an Olympics of marketing to motivated sellers online, we would win a gold medal in, in that Olympics. And that's basically how we thought about it. Um, and, and that's kind of how we got to where we are today, just by focusing so much on that one little industry. Um, and it is, it, I think it's a better business model. Yeah. If, if anyone's not aware of wholesaling, uh, could be very good margins for those individuals. So I could definitely see if, I mean, if they found an outlet like yourself that was providing those leads to them, uh, you definitely get a lot more, a lot more clients going that direction. Uh, so is your background like growing up, was it in computers? Was it in sales? What, what did your background come from, Brandon? Yeah, good question. So I, um, Let's see. I, I had more. I had more experience in digital marketing than anything else. In particular, um, I had. Uh, I started this company though when I was a sophomore in college. So there's not a ton of background there. You know, like my job before this, um, or practically, I was bagging groceries. You know, it's not like I had a, a ton of experience with anything. I did have one job while I was in high school. I worked for a marketing agency, and I learned oh, wow. a little bit about that stuff and how that works, um, kind of like as an intern for them. Um, what, so, what, what pushed you to be to means not everyone has a job in high school, right? Even an internship, was it school? Was it parents? I mean, what pushed you to actually, uh, I guess working in that environment? I think it's just a, I think it's a drive thing. I, my senior year of high school, I had four jobs. Um, I was a sterilization technician for a, a local dentist office. I worked at that marketing agency. I was a bag boy at Publix, like a grocery store chain in the Southeast United States where I grew up. Um, and I had this, uh, well, technically two little businesses. Um, one that basically sold stock photography and videos to marketing agencies. Um, and another that was math tutoring. Um, for other people I found in my school. So I, I did a lot of stuff. I've always been like that. Um, it was just a, just a drive to, to make money and learn and, and I, I just can't sit still. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of what brought me to that. And that's what got me a variety of different experiences. And I think it's, uh, it's why I pushed so hard in my current company as well. What, um, so your your parents, are they entrepreneurs or what, what's their background? No, not really. Uh, my, my mom was, a uh, or is a claims adjuster for, for nationwide insurance. And my dad was in safety management. Um, they were kind of like, like both of my parents are like, you know, nine to five work for the same company for 30 years until you retire sort of people. So not really the, I don't know where I came from. Not, well, not well, you're in college. What, what were your, what were your plans in college? So you you went to the marketing firm in high school. Was that your goal in college, going to college uh, again to marketing? So in college, my my goal was to eventually get into marketing. Yeah, that, that's correct. So I, I started kind of pursuing that path. Um, the reason I started the company is because as a sophomore, I was looking around, like, how can I get more experience in marketing? I talked to a few companies for their internships, and I learned internships are unpaid, which I thought was really not cool. Um, and you don't actually get to do anything cool. Like, 
like, here, count the number of characters in this meta description and provide this SEO report or whatever the case was. And, and I wanted to, to be somewhere where I felt like I could provide an impact and do better work. So I figured if I'm not getting paid anyways, let me just reach out to a few companies and see if anybody wants to hire me for free. And that was kind of the, the start of my business since I was a freelancer and I didn't ask for money and just said, I don't care what you want me to do. All I care is that it's marketing and I don't care if you pay me or what you pay me. I just want to be able to make an impact here and do a good job. Uh, my goal was to gain experience um, so that when I graduated from college, I could get a job easier. Uh, that, that was the whole goal. Um, although at some point, right around the end of my sophomore year, I was making more money doing this than I would with a job that I would get out of my senior year graduating from school. So I looked at that and I was like, okay, well, I still kind of want to have a job because I'm not the natural entrepreneur in some ways. I have the drive and stuff. I'm extremely risk averse. Um, so I decided that I would just keep on going. And at some point, just the business kept on growing and growing and growing. Um, and my mindset shifted. Eventually, I started to feel like it was safer to work for myself than it was to work for someone else, which is a thought that had never crossed my mind ever. Uh, I always thought being an entrepreneur is risky. And at some point, I thought, you know what, having my career in someone else's hands and having anything but complete control over what I do in my life sounds more risky than running a business that I can control and I understand um, and I can basically cause to go the direction I want to. Um, so some point the mindset shifted and then I was, uh, you can never get me into a job probably. I'm, I'm practically unemployable. Um, but that's uh, that's kind of my journey of, of learning that, that entrepreneurship is a path that makes sense for me. Um, and the, the secret for me, I think was really just low opportunity cost. I don't think I'm the guy that ever would have like left a cushy job and taken a big risk and started a company. Um, but when I replaced a un theoretical unpaid internship with a unpaid company, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a big deal. Um, and I just built from there. Well, where was your original business? You said it was growing exponentially. I mean, was it word of mouth? I mean, how was your business growing originally? I was just always out there hustling, trying to get sales. I would go to every networking event I could find. I would talk to everybody I know and tell them what I do. And I was just, you know, in a, in a fairly ineffective way. But I, I, I just was always, I mean, I, my first clients, I remember I got them just through cold emails. You know, the, the day I decided I wanted to start my company, that same day, I sent over 100 emails to companies in my local area and oh. said, let me do marketing for you. And that's where I got my first client. Um, and that client actually didn't pay me, but they referred me to someone else who did. And that person referred me to the first company that we worked with in the real estate wholesaling space. Um, hmm. And that kind of led to where we are today. Um, so it's, it's a bunch of, uh, I, I basically understood the, the principle that it's not about taking something that has a great shot. It's like any, every single thing I did had a one in a thousand chance of working out. Um, but I did a thousand things that had a one in a thousand chance. And, and between all those, something ended up working out. Now you're, you're growing the business. Uh, when did you start understanding, okay, how much am I going to charge compared to when you first started? You said that you're giving some of your work for free and now I'm assuming you had to have like a, a set pricing, set numbers, or how has that process been or what happened there? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good question. Uh, so my clients that I tried to get do stuff for, for free, I ended up coming back to them the next month and saying, you should probably pay for this. <laughs> <laughs> try to upsell them from zero dollars to 500 or something like that and then it was just a it was just a game next person i talked to that it was a sale opportunity i remember i told them i'll 
do it for $1,500. And then the one after that, I said, I'll do it for $3,000. And I just kept on doing that until someone said no. And that was the price of the services, just kept on raising. Um, and then, you know, that's extremely non-scientific and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. Um, at some point it comes down to a competitive you know, analysis and realizing like what these things are worth, what other people are doing, you know, how we can position ourselves well in the market. Um, we've kind of ended up at a place where we're one of the more expensive options for our clients, but we work with the best. So if you look at the, the real estate, uh, you know, the off-market real estate side, uh, we work with a bunch of the the largest companies that exist a- across the nation, um, and we charge more than our competitors, but we have a better service that produces a better result, and that's kind of our business model. Well, and I mean, you talked about the idea of, of growing expansion and it kept on expanding for other people, but also yourself. I mean, mm-hmm. someone that was just kind of rolled into it, right, and you're your own boss, what was that expansion of your business, hiring people, bring people on? I mean... That has to be a little more stressful because now you're you're raising your overhead, you're changing a little bit of what you do. What was that process like? It is uh, honestly really difficult. <laughs> if we're gonna be completely honest, I I uh, something about me is that I'm a little bit of a perfectionist, and I never I can't say I never make mistakes. I rarely make mistakes like when it comes to like things that have to do with detail orientation and you know this has to be exactly like this or whatever the case was as you can imagine as i started hiring people um there started being more mistakes i'd take ownership for those things um and all of that and it it drove me crazy in in a lot of ways Uh, someone i talked to said if you want to have like a happy life and a good business you have to keep your company extremely extremely small or very large and everything in between is just not anything that you want to mess with um, and it's uh, I, I kind of get it right because you have that uh, you have that tiny stage where i was in control of everything i did all the work so i made sure that everything happened just like it needed to i never had to rely on anybody else in order for me to accomplish my goals and then you have that uh, stage when you're larger which we're sort of getting there but not quite all the way there where there's people like a management team in place to deal with problems as they come up and and managers to manage employees and you have systems and processes well figured out and stuff like that and then there's this in between i don't know what you'd call it maybe chaos where you're trying to get from point a to point b um, but you don't really have all those things in place so you're trying to find people you're trying to put them into the right processes you're learning these mistakes and you're having things happen that you would have never let happen but they happen because the person you hire let them happen <laughs> and like things like that happen all the time right and it's a uh, it, it's a hard it's a hard in-between thing and you kind of feel like you're the glue of the company um, because everything sort of goes through you so yeah that's that's probably been been the biggest challenge we're kind of coming out of that phase right now like i see the light at the end of the tunnel uh, where we have like uh you know some more senior level people entering into the company and helping with management and our processes have been battle tested enough that they're like starting to like work really seamlessly and all that kind of stuff but it's a hard phase like there's i know a lot of people like clients of ours that kind of like have their one person company and they grow a little bit and then next time you talk to them, they're one person again, and they fired everybody. And then they try it again. I don't know if you know people like this in your life. It seems like a yeah. lot of people, because it's like you at some point, like if you're wanting to make it past that scale phase, you have to look at your business and say, I'm going to work harder, be more stressed out, and make less money 
for this next period of time in order to hopefully get to this period of time where this company has inherent value without me. But that transition time is very difficult. Oh, I, I totally agree. I mean, I, I see, I mean, everything you said couldn't be, I mean, it's, it's the truth. I mean, was there moments in that transition from, or I guess the transition you're going through where you wanted to go back to that, that solo person, that small business, was there moments that happened for you? Yeah, I could, I could say there were. The, the thing that I think we have going for us that not every company has going for them um, that makes it in some ways harder to do that, but you know, easier to not do that. It's the positive way to look at that. Um, it's that we are, we have a recurring revenue business, right? So we just have to, it's not like go out there and we sell stuff and then next month we have this work. And if we don't sell next month, then we have nothing. Um, we can count on retaining a large percentage of our clients month over month. Like, of course, if we never sell anything again, like our clients will slowly dwindle off as we, we lose 5% of them every month or whatever the case is. Um, but the, the point being, um, because we have that kind of stability, for me, it has been less of a financial concern of, of like, I need to go back. And it's been more of like, how do we get past it? And how do we move forward? Because we've had the means to hire the people. But honestly, my biggest challenge has been finding the right people. Um, not that we've like, we haven't even gone through the stage that a lot of companies go through where they hire people and fire them all the time. Like we've never actually fired anybody. Oh wow! I mean, we've had one person quit in the whole history of the company. So for the most part, everybody we hire just stays with us. We, but then we just need someone else to, to fill the gap as well, because I'm pretty picky on hiring. Um, but just finding those people has been a complete like challenge. We've done like everything that I know how to do <laughs> and it's hard. Oh. Well, see, you say you're really picking the hiring process. So the people, because you haven't fired anyone, is it more so that you're willing to take basically the good with the bad, or it's just you've been hiring really good people? I think we've been hiring really good people. Although I, I do have my weakness. Like the one person who quit should have been fired like a long time before they quit. <laughs> and I just didn't um, because I was at the stage in my business where I felt like, well, this person's not contributing positively. Uh, they're making a lot of mistakes. It's a problem, but we're understaffed anyways. And having this person who's not doing a great job is better than having nobody. And maybe it was true for a little bit, but the moment that person quit, I realized I should have fired them because our client retention shot up our client feedback shot up clients started coming out from other places saying, Oh yeah, I really didn't like that guy <laughs> oh, wow. to where we were like, we realized that we should have fired that person. Um, and we felt like we couldn't, but when they quit, we found out, we found a way to make ends meet without them. And it's, uh, yeah, it was a lesson learned for me. Um, so like not every single hire has been perfect. Um, but, they they have been really good. Like when I look at my team right now, like I said, only that one person has churned over this whole time period. Every single person, I feel like the, they, there's there's no chance we could be where we are today if it weren't for those people. Um, there's not a single person that's just kind of like slipped under the radar, or didn't contribute that much, or isn't like what I consider to be top of the line at what they do. Like we have a really good group of people. And, and part of that is like a heavy investment in training. And part of that is a really strict hiring process. Well, talking about hiring and growing expansion, I mean, if we were talking, let's say in five years from now, where do you plan uh, to be? What do you think your company's going to be? Uh, well, we're, I guess the, the summary is by the end of next year, we hope to 
finish growing in this this real estate off-market space uh, we can't just take unlimited numbers of clients in different areas um, right now we're in 80 something markets across the united states and, and we theoretically see about 150 that we can be in um, so if you you know add all those numbers together we, we have room to maybe almost double as a company um, and if we can just keep clients at the rate that we're keeping them right now, and we can add new clients at the rate that we're adding them right now, we'll hit that by the end of next year. Um, and then at that point, the, there's a lot of different directions we can go, you know, either with different products in the same space, uh, perhaps with branching into other adjacent spaces as a marketing company um, or whatever the case is. And, and truthfully, I, I sort of have a vision for each. <laughs> like part of me is like really like heavy expansion like we're going to find from that point like two other markets enter into them grow those like we have this one um and part of me just wants to like lay low for a little bit and you know have like a, a flat year <laughs> from a revenue standpoint um but work really hard on dialing everything in perfectly um so we'll we'll see kind of where it takes us um i i think that my uh my ambitious side will take over at some point and and we will grow beyond that um, but in what way exactly is going to be interesting to see. You said 150 markets. I mean, how do you base your market? I mean, where did that come about? Did you find markets that maybe weren't good fits before or uh, what happened there? Yeah, I mean, markets are generally a, a good fit. Um, the only problem is if they're just super small, you know, we're not going to work with an investor that just works in one little town and okay. you know, the middle of nowhere. So it's, it's based on population. Um, and stuff like that. And it's based on like, realistically, we know that there's more than that, but we know that we're not going to have a client at all times in every single market. Mm. Um, like there's going to be some areas where we just can't find anyone to work with. Um, and, or there's going to be a client that leaves and then it takes us a few months to find a new client in that particular market, uh, whatever the case is. So, so that's kind of like 150 is like our estimated number of clients. That I think we can grow to, we'll see though. It'll be interesting to see how it actually shifts as a company. Um, and, a lot of there's there's a lot of variables there and i think we'll kind of discover it as we go along but the rough numbers it, being in the the pay-per-click kind of space it, it it seems like the algorithms things like that have changed quite frequently i mean how how do you and your team stay up to date on the best way of maximizing a dollar it's a science, yeah. Because I, I remember seeing like, you know, being that ambitious kid basically in college and looking at work that companies were doing and be like, oh man, this work is so six months ago. You guys got to fix this, and, you know. And then one day I looked at some stuff that my company was doing. And I was like, oh shoot, like we're that company now because <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to stay ahead of the curve. Um, I think what makes the difference really for us, like because of that, we, we built a dedicated R&D department. Um, the whole goal of that department being creating new strategies and testing and learning. And, and testing and learning to stay at the front of things, um, to actually discover those things, not necessarily be the early adopter, but to be the first adopter is, is kind of like our, our goal in, in a lot of ways. Um, one thing, that's that's interesting about that if you look over the past three years we've never spent a single dollar for any client that wasn't on some type of split test we're very passionate about testing um, and we think that it's the way to move forward quicker than anybody else because a continued cadence of regular split tests that have meaningful outcomes is 
just gets you so far ahead that nobody else can really catch up. You know, you can't just test three times as much really fast and catch up to me, even though you started just now. Like it's, it's extremely hard to catch up. So that's kind of like our oral strategy is, is we, you know, we have smart people that build smart strategies, test those things. We always say that every dollar spent has two purposes. It's to produce a result and it's to learn something that's gonna help us produce a result that's better in the future. Um, and if we consistently do that, there's no way, like we might not move forward super fast, but there's no way anyone else will move forward even faster. I guess is my hypothesis. Well, so, so you brought up the split test. So I'm guessing how split test is, is your clients are paying a certain price, yet when you're testing a new way of doing it, you cut the cost in half or is that, or cut no, the cost? No, that'd be something that we're doing with our clients ad budget while we're working with them. Um, okay. But split tests aren't, a lot of people think of it like it's super risky. If you're doing it right, like our split tests don't generally have like a gigantic impact, positive or negative. Okay. Um, they generally have incremental impacts, right? Because we're not just like completely swapping everything that we have. Now there's there's points to try things that are new and more out there. And we yeah. do that sometimes. And we have a particular group of clients that we know like that kind of stuff. And we go to them and we say, here's what we want to do. Here's what the risk is. Here's the potential reward. What do you think? Um, and we know who to go to that's going to say yes, if that makes sense, because yeah. some people are, are much more open to that. And, and to be honest, those clients have actually had really great fortune with those things so far. Um, you know, They don't always work, but when they do, it tends to, tends to make up for all the losses. Um, but in general, it's going to be more iterative, smaller tests. And it's going to be some things where it's not even necessarily a test as much as it is uh, making sure that we're gathering the right data. For example, just executing the same strategy that we are, but we track for each lead down to the individual user level if it becomes a deal or not for our clients. Um, so then we can figure out not just what generates them leads, but what generates them deals. And by gathering that data and by simultaneously doing a lot of things, like if you look on Google, I mean, you could say it's a split test that we target more than one search term. Uh, I just checked in our account the other day. We had 350 some thousand search terms for our clients in the past year. Ridiculous numbers. Um, that's a test, right? We're, we're we're seeing how those perform compared to each other. Now each one has an extremely small amount of data. Most of those search terms had a single click. Um, so we have ways of data aggregation. We have you know, machine learning softwares that we built um, to put predictive analytics on top of this this data set um, to deal with data sparsity issues. There's there's like a whole like it's not like a or B, I guess, is my point. Like, there's a whole yeah. host of things that we can do that are even just the things you would do otherwise. But you make sure that when you spend the dollar, you are either gathering, you're, you're basically gathering data in some way that's going to help you spend your next dollar better. Is there, I mean, and there's right there, I mean, a nugget of kind of always taking on data as you put something. Is there, but is there any, uh, nugget if someone's looking to invest some money, they're not maybe not ready to bring on a company like yourself, but they're going to put like something in a Facebook ad, a Google ad, something to remember for them or something that you give them advice on. So help me understand your question. Basically advice for running a Facebook or Google ad or something yeah, like that. Yeah. So, something that maybe, I mean, they're not ready to bring someone on, but they're, they're going to put together an ad, uh, either one of the avenues. Is there something that trigger words, ideas, Three hundred forty-five thousand trigger words, or words that you put out there. But anything advice that you might be able to, to offer those people? Yeah, yeah, good question. So I think there's a, there's a couple of foundational elements that are like prerequisites for success 
on either platform. Um, so just to share some of the things that I see people doing wrong most often. Um, in Facebook, it's incredibly important that you communicate to Facebook what you want to accomplish. So many people tell Facebook, I want to you know, reach as many people as possible. I want to get as many clicks as possible. Um, what you need to do is actually align it with like what you actually want. Like, why do you want to reach people? Well, so I can get clicks. And why do you want to get clicks? Well, so you can get leads. And why do you want to get leads? So that you can produce deals. You need to tell Facebook that you want um, basically the deepest thing in the funnel that you can give it. So in many cases, that's leads, but you make sure you have like some pretty hard qualifications on the leads coming through the form. Um, so you can report that data back to Facebook because Facebook works, it's whole targeting and everything works just based on what you tell it you want. Um, and if you tell it you want clicks, you're going to get tons and tons and tons of clicks. And you're going to be amazed that your conversion rate on your website's low, but it's going to be a traffic quality issue. If you tell it you want reach, you're going to reach so many people with your Facebook ads, you're going to be mind blown at how cheap it is to reach more people with Facebook ads, but none of them are going to click because um, it's not going to be the right people. So that's that's really important there. With Google, probably the biggest thing that's that's creating issues for people, um, especially in spaces like like the one I work in, potentially when you work in too. Um, let's just say you look at like a, a keyword, right? You could tell Google, "I want um, we buy houses," right? Pretty common keyword if you're looking for like the motivated seller side of, of real estate. Google looks at the words "we buy houses." and the slight adaptation by houses as practically the same thing. There's a one word difference. You and I know that those are really, really different things. If someone searches for we buy houses versus buy houses, they have different intents, um, different situations, um, different kinds of companies that they would be a really good fit for. Um, and Google recently just likes to match everything to everything. Um, so the really tough thing you get is you tell it you want something and it gets you something completely different. Um, and Google's not gonna police that for you. So in Google, one foundational thing that you need to make sure you're doing is policing your search terms. You can go through your search terms, add negative keywords. We're at the point where we have a negative keyword list that is at least 100 times longer than our keyword list, just oh, wow. because we block so many things that show up that aren't good. Uh, and it's true for any company, any industry, um, that if you're paying for clicks that aren't even the right kind of people, then you're wasting money, right? So one of the easiest ways to waste money to save money on Google and get things in shape is just to, to be aggressive with negative keywords. Fantastic. I mean, I, I'm gonna leave it off with this last question right here. Is there mm -hmm. any advice that you would give to your younger self that started this company as a sophomore college? Ooh, that's a tough question. Um, I advice that I would give to my younger self. You're throwing a curveball at me here. This is uh, this is something interesting to think about. Um, so, advice. What what did I'm trying to think? Like, what did I not know then that if I knew it would have made it way way easier yeah. for me? Um, I think honestly, it would have been niched down sooner. I spent a lot of time trying to chase every opportunity, um, but what I didn't realize was that saying yes to something means saying no to something else. Um, and being the absolute best at something is something that has so much value. Um, I was chasing being the best at a lot of things. Um, but what I was missing is that most people never even get lucky enough to be the best at one. And it only takes one. And if I had changed that focus beforehand and focused on building capabilities, it would have been a completely different outcome. 
Um, it's so easy to look marginally at each decision. If I make this, this decision as a company, am I going to be more profitable or less profitable than I was before? Like, I'm just going to take this one incremental client um, and we're going to make more money than we did before. But those things that you're saying no to because you said yes to that one thing are hidden. Like that time that you could have spent going even deeper and getting from being 95% of the way there in your one thing to 96% of the way there, which has a lot more value. Um, so that's that's what people told me over and over and over again. They thought my business was too widespread in our scope. Um, and I looked at it marginally. I always looked at this next decision. Is my company gonna be better off or worse off with this decision? I didn't focus on capabilities. How is this decision gonna affect our trajectory in the long run? And could it push us over that line of being really good at something to being the absolute best at something? And I just didn't see the value of crossing that line. So that would be my advice. I probably wouldn't listen though, to be honest with you. <laughs> Do you think you would have hired your uh, younger self for your company today? Would I hire my younger self for my company? Yeah, if you're, if you're younger self, yeah, I was looking to, to join your company. Oh, I I would be a beast employee, man. I would have hired. I would hire myself in an instant. And the reason is, I would never quit and do my own thing because I'd be too scared. But I'd be the kind of person that can actually run the company, and the kind of person that can kind of take over some of those more visionary roles um, and execute with a lot of ambition and make it all happen. So that's I, I would have been a great employee. Unfortunately, that that door's closed. But um, yeah, if I could find <laughs> someone just like me, yeah. 100%. Uh, well, well, thank you, Brandon, for being here. Thank you yeah. for all giving your insight. Thank you for being, I mean, honest. I mean, I think for a, for a lot of people listening right now, they're great at what they do, right? Yet expanding, like you said, I mean, it, it, the idea from a solo agent to a to a, a, mega, a mega business, right, is two different worlds. Yet it's that middle ground of getting there. And I mean, if you're listening right now, you're frustrated trying to get over that hump you're not alone keep pushing through get through there it's going to work out and things are going to be a lot better for you thanks guys please subscribe please share go find brandon bye guys thank you for listening to the road to growth success of an entrepreneur please like subscribe and stay connected visit www.theenriquezgroup.com yeah i created a website hope to see you again next week the enriquez group signing off